0: Al Roker is known to more than 30 million TV viewers as America's favorite weatherman and broadcaster. A 13 time Emmy Award winner, Roker can be seen on NBC's Today Show every morning. He's also a New York Times best selling author and the founder and CEO of Al Roker Entertainment. We discuss the lessons learned from the disaster, how it has impacted us hundreds of years later, his views on climate change, his thoughts on the current state of media and some of the lessons that he's learned throughout the course of his successful career. It's a conversation that was as entertaining as it was informative, and I hope that
1: you enjoy. This episode of the Ivy podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's pure source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor distilled purity. Pure perfection. Smart Water also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer. This is good. It's great to have you. Thank you for it joining us. It is good uh, being had.
0: We're going we're gonna to talk, <laughs> talk about a bunch of things. We'll talk about your career this evening. I want to talk about the book, Ruthless Tide, which is incredible, folks. Reads like a movie. Highly recommend it. Um, but let's, let's take a step back first and, and let's just get some context. So, can you just tell us about your path um, to discovering media and weather and the things that you're doing right now and where, how we got to where we are today?
2: How I got to or where we Well, got... all of no, we, yeah. us. You... So, how many people took the subway? Two
0: of left, cool.
2: You know, the 2nd Avenue subway has changed my life. It's you fantastic. <laughs> Anyway, it my stop. There's a there's an insomnia cookies right there. So, <laughs> oh, it's the best. Oh, those, those snickerdoodles. Anyway, De- a um, delight. But Delicious. I digress. Uh, I I honestly had no interest in being on television. Uh, uh, growing up, I wanted to be. A, a writer or a producer. I was. A, I, I. loved animation. I wanted. I was. I really wanted to be an animated, uh, a, an animator for Walt Disney, uh, and uh, I. I. But I really wanted. I decided I was going to be a producer or a writer, and and I thought, well, where can I go to school to do that? But I can't afford going to NYU or Syracuse or Columbia. And SUNY Oswego uh, has. Had, had a radio and TV department. And I thought, well, you know, they show movies on, on TV, so that's close enough. Um, and and so I, I, I went to SUNY Oswego. And uh, I, I majored in, communi- well, it was rad- called radio and TV then. Now it's communications uh, or multimedia or something. Uh, uh, but, yeah, and, and that's how I got started. And I was put up for a job by my department chairman, uh, the late Lou O'Donnell, who uh, said, uh, told me in my television performance class that I had the perfect face for radio. So, um, <laughs> so he put me up for th- this job doing weekend weather. The news director told me that, uh, look, I, I can't afford, I can either afford paying a drunk guy or a college student. Um, and <laughs> I, I was in college, so. I could have gotten he could have gotten two for one, but he didn't. <laughs> um, uh, and and so I got a job, and I thought I would do that until you know I, I got a I got a job that I really wanted. But I kept after I graduated, I uh, I got the Monday through Friday job, and then I got a job in Washington D.C. and then, and it's just I kept getting jobs doing TV weather. And I thought, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to do this. <laughs> so uh, and and that. That was, I, I graduated in uh, 1976 uh, from SUNY Oswego, and now, I am mean, yes, I'm old, okay? So, <laughs> yeah, because I know you're doing the math and going, well, geez, he's ancient, <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway,
0: it's great, and here we are today. So one of the things that I, I really like that I read about you is that that you make a point to speak to the young people who are working it today and who are working. I on like the way you said here.
2: the young people, the younger, <laughs> the people. <laughs> you know. Know, look at all of you. But well, specifically, you well, specifically <laughs> no, 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 younger, Younger's younger in this group young too. You guys nap. are. They're recently sorry. out of college. No, it's all right. The young people. <laughs> By young people, we mean people who are 50. <laughs> so <laughs> you take
0: them out to lunch. You speak to them. So. You know, what is it for you, you know, is it, why is this important to you, and what role has mentorship played in your career as well?
2: I was mentored. See, I'm so old, we didn't use the term mentoring, you know. <laughs> okay. It was called taking somebody under your wing. And depending on the wing, that could be kind of smelly. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, the, the person, I was very lucky in that I was, early on in my career, I went from syracuse new york to my second job was at wttg the metro media station now fox station in in washington dc and i was mentored by willard scott he literally if it wasn't for willard i would not be doing what i'm doing today and he gave me the two best bits of advice uh, that i pass on and that's the first one is uh, always be yourself because at the end of the day That's all you have. They can do whatever they want, but they can't take that away from you Mm -hmm. unless you're in Westworld. Maybe later you could explain the finale to me from this (laughs) thing. I don't understand. Anyway, and the other great bit of advice was never give up your day job. I I, I do all sorts of things, but the Today Show is my base, and I love that job. And the other thing he told me was stay on the train till the last stop. Mm -hmm. And even then hide in the bathroom. Don't leave uh, unless unless you're unhappy, you know, if you're not enjoying it. And that was the other thing. I mean, Willard decided to semi retire when he wasn't enjoying it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember the same thing happened with my dad. He was uh, uh, he was a bus driver, then became a a, a here in New York City and then became a dispatcher and a chief dispatcher and eventually uh, was in management and at the at the MTA. And he retired at 55 because he said he wasn't enjoying it anymore. From those two men, from my dad and from Willard, that's where my philosophy has, has sprung.
0: Well, one of the things that you're doing to keep it fresh, and we discussed this, we all discussed this before, is that you're taking the things that you're passionate about, you're incorporating it into your career, whether it's, you know, writing fiction, whether it's writing about history, whether it's, you know, cookbooks, what murder mysteries, you know, you're, you're just evolving so much with the things that you love to do. So what advice do you have for other people who want to do things like that and, and evolve in their career by, you know, implementing their passions into it?
2: Well, I think yeah, the, the trick, and it, it sounds simplistic, but... I I think it's what I've kind of lived by, and and, uh, Mike and I had talked about this earlier. I I remember it was my sophomore year of high school, and I I didn't get a particularly good uh, report card that first semester, and I was dreading my dad coming home. You know, the, the report card was on the table, and... Uh, he came home, came up to my room, and he says, I'm, I'm not going to yell at you. I mean, you know, you're, you're too big for that. I guess, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Uh, Takes can, the wind can, out of can, you, yeah. Can, he said, yeah. Can, you, can you tell me that this is the best you can do? And he said, if you can tell me that that's the best you can do, then I can't ask more. That's it. But if it's not, then you need to do better. And, and that's what I tell people. I said, at the end of the day, if, when you look over the day, did you do your best? Did you? Can you honestly say to yourself that you did your best? And if you didn't, uh, what can you do tomorrow to try to do that? I, one of the things I've, I've been doing now for the last few years is, uh, which sounds so precious, but I have I keep a journal every night, and it, whether it's a paragraph or two paragraphs or two pages, I kind of write uh, what happened during the day, and then kind of at the end of the week, I kind of flip through it and see. You know, because life is moving so fast that I find that writing down, you know, what you've experienced helps you. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. Yeah. So, which is, again, kind of trite, but I I find it works. Yeah.
0: What's a day in the life like when you're doing everything? From from the time you wake up to, to insomniac cookies, um, you know, what's you know uh, what's a day in the well, life like I, I
2: actually know? don't eat them late. I uh, <laughs> I get off the train around three in the afternoon. So a little later than that. So
0: <laughs> there's still plenty of time left in the day. And
2: there's so much time left in the day.
0: How do you how do you balance it? How do you maximize that time?
2: Um, you know, I, I try to be Again, this sounds New Age, but I really do try to be in whatever moment I'm in. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I but I try to maximize the day. I get up at about 3:45, you know, I get up and take care of whatever, and then uh, I get on the phone with our, our meteorologist, mm-hmm. and I'm on online, and we're looking at maps, and we talk for about 30, 40 minutes, and then I know what I'm doing and then uh, I I may get on a Peloton for 30 Mm -hmm. minutes. Thank you for the somebody who has a Peloton. There you go. That's great, you know. Of course, they're not sponsoring this, so we don't care. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I do have a big swig of Smart Water. (laughs) I'm I'm threatened by a bottle that (laughs) claims to be smarter than I am. (laughs) I, I, I don't need to feel any worse than I already do. I have children for that. Um, I try, if if it's nice enough out, I bike to work. I, you know, we do the, I go into makeup after, you know, doing uh, some more stuff. I actually, this is, I'm actually wearing makeup right now. I look like Denzel Washington. (laughs) I just, I just do this for pity. You know, we do the show and then, you know, go over to the, uh, uh, the 30 Rock and we talk about what we did and what are we going to do for the next day and stuff. And I kind of hang around for a little while. And then I go to my production company for a couple hours. And then uh, I head home, make dinner. Uh, I try to make dinner maybe four to five days out of the week. Uh, we try not to order in too much. And then start all over again. Yeah.
0: His Instagram page makes me so hungry all the time because he posts pictures of delicious dinner. Let's talk about the book. Again, worthless okay. Tide. It is a great book. We're going to have copies outside. They're all signed. Get them. It is amazing. They're so for sale. You just they, can't take it. No, don't just.
2: Don't just. <laughs> so there's some people from Posman Books who will come after you. They so. won't be happy. It's
0: not just a story about a, a flood that wiped out of town, really. It's a story about different financial classes. Yes. It's a story about you know ignored warnings and about a a city coming together and really trying to rise above and then also outrage and change that actually came from it. But we'll we'll take the step back and just talk about what happened and how did it happen.
2: Yeah, the, the year was 1889. This was the Gilded Age in America. It was a point where America was on the world stage as an industrial power it had become an industrial power, and the things that led it to become an industrial power was uh, the development of high-grade, well-produced, but cheaply produced steel, iron ore, the rise of the railroads, coal, and all of that was happening in Western Pennsylvania. And uh, bold-faced names like Carnegie, Mellon, Frick, uh, folks who were these industrialists who were uh, developing monopolies, uh, wanted to have a playground, if you will, Uh, that would rival their friends who had uh, homes in the Adirondacks or the Berkshires. And so they uh, created this, uh, there were 60 members of this exclusive club secret list. It was called the South Fork Hunt and Fish Club. And they had hunting and they had cabins, but they wanted a lake because in the late 1800s, the outdoor life had become something of de rigueur. They wanted people who said, this is what you should be doing. And so they, they dammed up a river, the Connemaw River. Uh, they used a dam from a previous canal system, but it had fallen into disrepair. It was an earthen dam. And folks down in the uh, lower part of the valley, including Johnstown, said, oh, you know, this, this isn't a good idea. If that dam breaks, we're all going to die. No, no, it's okay. We have engineers who tell us it's okay. It's good. Uh, Now, these were the one percenters of the age. There were no environmental impact studies. There were no zoning regulations, none of that. So they built this earthen dam. Not only did they build the dam and and build it without an ability to raise or lower the dam, they, they also... Uh, lowered the level of the dam so that they could on Sunday afternoons drive their cars across and, and their wagons and enjoy themselves in the year 1889 it had been a very tough winter there had been a, an incredible amount of snow and then a very warm spring so there was a lot of runoff there are several tributaries that run into the Kanama and the area was used to flooding minor flooding in fact that Th- that week, people had been playing in the streets, there was water in the streets. People were used to taking their furniture up to the second floor, rolling up their carpets. So, you know, there, and there were, had been, uh, years earlier, a partial collapse of this, this same dam, but there, was no, there were no catastrophic events that, that were uh, circulating this. They build the dam, they have a, a, a great runoff, and then they get a freak storm that parks itself over Western Pennsylvania. And over 12 to 14 inches of rain falls in less than 24 hours. The dam eventually erodes because water is spilling over it. They can't lower the level of the dam. Uh, It erodes the earth, stone works underneath give way, and within 30 to 40 minutes, 20 million tons of water are released in about that, that short period of time and head 14 miles down into this valley, traveling at about 40 to 50 miles per hour reaching heights of 50 to 60 feet and uh, taking everything out in its path Uh, in the end 2200 people were killed it is still to this day the largest the worst death toll in a flooding disaster in american history it has never been equaled it could have been prevented Mm -hmm. it it shouldn't have happened but it did the the book is an examination of of how this happened Uh, and then as you mentioned the outrage that was across the country. This was, you got to remember, 1889 where, were a little more than 25 years after the end of the Civil War. This was the greatest natural disaster in American history up to this point. The outrage when people found out why this dam was built and why it collapsed, uh, the outrage was was countrywide, and in fact it became uh, it became worldwide.
0: In, in the wake of this disaster, there's all these stories of individuals who really rose to the occasion, including the American Red Cross. It's, it's one of their earliest you know, appearances in a storm. What, can you share some of these stories and, and what lessons we can take um, for those in need also and how we can help?
2: Well, I think uh, one, the interesting uh, through line that runs through a lot of these stories is that a lot of people risk their lives for total strangers without knowing that they were going to survive or not. For the most part, there were many selfless acts, I, I think, continue to show what the human spirit is. And I think that is true today. But for for folks, we, we are kind of used to, because of social media, because of media, because of the ability to view global events at our fingertips, on our phones, at any moment, we, we almost become numb to it. If you put yourself in 1889, 129 years ago, to witness something like this, people described it as an unleashed monster. It had to boggle the mind, and for people to take action in the face of this is is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And as you said, the, the the Red Cross, you know, Clara Barton, in an age where women, at this point, you know, uh, couldn't even vote, uh, you know, came in, and up until this point, the Red Cross was basically A relief organization for veterans of the Civil War. She and her her staff created single handedly the greatest relief effort in a disaster that the world had ever seen to this point to that point. You know, really became the preeminent disaster relief organization that we come to know today.
0: And people were angry we said before, people were angry afterwards
2: because it you know it
0: shouldn't have happened and they wanted change and and they actually made it happen yeah, well, right between was... the, the press and, and the people. Yeah. What, what change happened? And then do you think that, that can still happen today? Can we, as people, as the press, can we cause positive change through our voices?
2: Well, here's uh, what, what happened in the, in the aftermath of this. Again, there were 60 members to this, this club. 35 of them donated to a relief effort. The others didn't. When people found out about, because a lot of people didn't even know about the, the club, they tried to sue. Uh, out of all the lawsuits, only one person was able to win a judgment, and it was a, for $500, somebody who had lost their family. At the end of the day, they never collected the money. There was so much outrage. Liability laws in this country were rewritten. Zoning laws were started to be really enacted in communities because of what happened in Johnstown. And, and I think as you look toward today, and a lot of it was driven by newspaper editorials and outrage and, and reporter stories. But today, I think you can see when, when groundswells happen, I think you see change. Look at what's just recently happened with, with the, this whole immigration story. Mm-hmm. You saw, because there was so much outrage online and in the media about families being separated. Forget about how you feel about immigration or illegal immigration or whatever. People just felt this policy of separating Families was wrong, and we need to do something about that. And and a policy was changed. Uh, Yes, I think I think the power of media and the power, but the power of people now Mm -hmm. of social media, uh, maybe even outstrips traditional media.
0: Do you think something like this could ever happen again today?
2: I, you know, do I think 2,200 people could be killed at one time? Not necessarily the scale, but God, I hope not. But what I my biggest concern is, and one of the reasons why I wrote this. Was that I think it, it, you know, it's kind of a wake-up call. In that we are living in a time right now where we're seeing uh, all of a number of our environmental protections being rolled back or or or, or being repealed. Uh, we see uh, zoning r- uh, regulations being relaxed, building codes being relaxed. At the same time that we are seeing, due to climate change, the increased opportunity extreme weather. This year alone, we have had six. One billion dollar weather events, the damages are cost over a billion dollars. And as, as you think back, there really hasn't been anything massive. Now we are seeing just look what happened uh, about a month and a half ago in Ellicott City, Maryland. Massive flooding. They call it a thousand year flood. The problem, the problem with that is it was the second thousand year flood within two years. You know, we are seeing these events happening more and more frequently. And what climate change does is it doesn't mean that you're going to see these events, but the likelihood, the chances of these events happening increase exponentially. So you combine a lack of of protections and the possibility of uh, more severe weather happening and it is a recipe for disaster.
0: Why is climate change and global warming a hot button, debated no issue? No pun, I see today. what you did there.
2: Hot button. I can see. Global warming. This guy gets <laughs> it.
0: Why is it such a debated issue today? And, I, and what can we do to foster actual meaningful conversations that don't lead in you know, grandma crying at the Christmas table or something?
2: I've never seen my grandma cry at the Christmas <laughs> table. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't understand why it's a debate. I, I really don't. There is, there is no credible proof. God bless you. That there is not climate change. It is happening. It's verifiable. No legitimate scientist denies this. Mm-hmm. There are those who do. It's irrefutable. And so I don't I don't understand what the reasoning is to to fight it. You, know, you there are industries that contribute to it and if people are worried about those jobs, well then it's it's our job. It's our responsibility to transfer those people to industries that are creating cleaner energy that does not lead to an exacerbation of of greenhouse gases, of climate change, of of warming, sea ice melt, of ocean rise. We can do that. Because if we don't, others will. China is now taking the lead in clean energy, Mm -hmm. in solar panel uh, production, in wind turbines. It's crazy to, to not try to move folks from one industry into another. We can do it if we have the wherewithal.
0: I'd like to ask you a few questions about just the current state of media today, and then I want to open it up to everyone else. It's not just my conversation. It's everyone's conversation. Start thinking of your questions. We'll get there in a few minutes. But the, the term fake news is used so often today. How are you and your colleagues handling that? What do you, what's the kind of the inside I, I, here's conversation what we, about I,
2: I can only speak for NBC News. All right? mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for NBC News, but I'm you know, being a representative right. in a sense. The only thing we can do is just do our best job. Mm -hmm. is to, you know, people and people will judge that every day in and day out, certainly on the Today Show because I can speak to that firsthand, try to present a straight down the middle broadcast that you know that presents both sides you know let people make their decision i mean it's a it's a goofy kind of title fake news well if it's fake then it's not news you know people will have to decide for themselves but it's like i tell my my own kids and when i speak to the young people it's incumbent upon yourself to go for to be your own journalist in a way mm-hmm. don't accept just one source you look at multiple sources, you know, uh, try to, I mean, that's what I tell, when I, I do speak at colleges, I say, no matter what your major is, you should take as many different courses as possible, so that you are as rounded as possible, mm-hmm. and, and so that it, it's harder for people to pull the wool over your eye.
0: You said be your own journalist. There's so many platforms out there today. You've been really ahead of the curve. You were on Periscope before anyone was on Periscope. You're consistently ahead of it. What are the technologies right now? I was on Meerkat. That- <laughs> was. What, what are the technologies right now that we should be t- paying attention to and, and the ones that are coming out soon that we should be looking to as well, and, and how can we best utilize them?
2: To answer the last part first, I think that at the end of the day, uh, people still want authenticity. They want to connect with people, and I think they want stories, uh, whether those are fiction, or scripted, or non-scripted, or news. That's what people still want. They want that connection. But I think... Yeah, I still think live streaming is, a, is, is an interesting uh, platform, whether it's on Snapchat or it's on Instagram stories or uh, uh, Facebook or you know, wh- wherever it is. I, but I, I, I think doing it just to be doing it doesn't net you anything. What's the point of view? Why, are you, why should I give you my time to, to share that screen? We all, we've got so many things pulling at us That I think, you know, if, if I'm going to slice a little piece of my day for you, why am I going to do that? Why? Why are you? What are you doing that differentiates yourself from the thousands and thousands upon millions of folks who are out there who are doing that?
0: You've met, you've spoken to countless people from positions of power and fame. Has anyone? I'm sure it's second nature to you at this point, but. Does anyone still make you nervous? Do you get those those flutters at all? And then how do you deal with that? There's uh, such a large audience.
2: You know, I, uh, I get nervous. I'm nervous right now. No, I'm oh, serious. No, know. I really am. Because if you want to do your best, if you want to do a good job, if you take it for granted that you're just going to come out and ace it, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you, you are, it's probably time to hang it up. Because you've become too complacent and too, you're not grateful for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't have gratitude. You don't appreciate what you're doing. I'm nervous every day, and I like that. I like being a little nervous. I like the idea that this could crash and burn at any moment.
0: That's the beauty of To Just
2: say the wrong thing, and goes out on social media, and it's all over. That's it. And you can say you were there. You were there, guys. You were there. You just unscrewed your bottle of Smart Water. (laughs) What a dope. Two more
0: questions. Let's get the, the mics ready for, for, oh, one second, one second, one, one or two more questions, and then, and then we'll then, get those mics know, ready. What, what are some podcasts or books or forms of content that you recommend for everyone that we should be listening to or reading or, or keeping up with right now?
2: Um, you know, I, I think you should listen to a program. That you can download it on the SiriusXM app. It's called Off the Rails with Dylan Dreyer, Chanel Jones, and myself. We used to uh, do the nine o'clock hour on the Today Show, and we now do this hour every Tuesday at one o'clock, and then it's available for download. Other than that, I don't listen to anybody else. But I, you know, I I, I do love to read. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do audio books like Audible. Yeah. I always fall asleep. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm I've been I've been trying to listen to Ron Chernow's autobiography of grant. I'm, 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 I'm listening to the same chapter about for the last <laughs> 20 days. It's, it's not that it's boring. It says I fall asleep. By the time I get a chance to listen, you know, it's, it's like, you know, nine 30 at night and I'm boom gone.
1: That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smart Water. What makes Smart Water so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's pure source of water. Smart Water copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smart Water also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer.